0: Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you guys. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Well, hey, guys. Welcome. Again, thank you for coming out, hanging out with us. For those of you that maybe don't know who I am, my name is Daryl, and I am the minister of high school here at Cross Life Church, and I can proudly say that I am finally back to, well, almost back, to doing just high school ministry. Um, if you guys were in church this morning, we voted in our new college minister, a guy by the name of Brennan Scott. Um, who is gonna be joining us here in the next month or so on staff with us to take our college ministry to the next level. Um, so I'm excited that I get to release college ministry back to someone else, and I get to go all in and focus completely on you guys. I feel like, I've, I want to apologize, because I feel like since January, I've been just kind of like on the peripheral trying to survive a little bit with you guys, um, because I've been so bogged down with other things, uh, whether it be, keeping our middle school ministry going until Wes got here, and then keeping our college ministry going until we get Brennan here. So I just want to apologize. If you feel like you haven't had a chance to like connect with me over the last like five months, all on me. Uh, but this summer is going to be a summer of connection, a, a summer of growth. Uh, summer of relationship building, so I'm looking forward to getting to know you guys a lot better uh, over this time. If you're a senior, there's a handful of you guys in here. Man, it's been a blast getting to know you guys, Um, and I'm excited for you guys as you get to connect with Brennan and get to know him and his wife Angie over the next uh, couple of months because they are grade A quality people. And super excited that they're going to be a part of our team here at Cross Life. Uh, It's going to be a great, great season of ministry for us. So all that to say, glad you're here. If you haven't been here for the last couple of months, let me get you caught up on what we've been doing. Or the last couple of weeks, let me get you caught up on what we've been doing. We've been going through the book of James. We've been looking at this, this series called James, Faith at Work. And if you guys are familiar with the Bible, you know that James is not a very long book. Um, in this Bible that I have here, which is just like your thin line, like just text, no notes or anything, it only occupies um, one, two, three, or two and a half pages of actual physical paper. It's five chapters, it's not a very long book, but I feel like in James, we get like this marching order type messaging uh, from the author. And he's he's basically communicating to believers, and he's communicating to the early church, and saying, hey, listen, if you're a Christian, here's some things that you need to do. He gives some warnings, and he gives some marching orders. And what I appreciate about James, and what I've really come to appreciate over the last couple weeks, as I've been reviewing James and studying James, is that I've really been blown away at how simple he keeps it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a simple guy. Um, Anybody ever put together Ikea furniture? Anybody have that joy in your life? Isn't it like the worst process in the world? But you know what I appreciate about Ikea furniture? The directions are like the simplest thing in the world. If you know what I'm talking about, if you've done it, you know that they've got this little like blob-like cartoon character that puts together all their furniture. Those of you that are like, like they give you an Allen wrench and like a little like screwdriver and like a three-page document on how to build an entire bedroom set. Because it's so simple. It's like part A, part B using screw three, right? And like you put it all together and eventually it makes sense because it's real simple instructions. You can take a look back and go, all right, this makes sense. I'm reminded of a time when I was in college, um, and I was a long time ago, Uh, But I was in a public speaking class in college, it was one of those things that was a prerequisite, and I was like, well, I'm going to be public speaking all the time anyway, so I might as well take this rather than like a communications class that I really didn't care about. Like I could have taken like radio broadcast, but I was like, eh, public speaking is more in my wheelhouse of what I want to do. So I took that class, and it was actually a a great class. It taught me a lot of things about communication and communicating in front of a crowd, Uh, but one of our assignments early on in the semester was we had to... Take a common task, like a daily common task, something that you would do regularly and give a 15 to 20 minute presentation in front of the class on how to do it. So some of these ideas and some of the topics that were brought up were like making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or how one guy did like how to wash a car. One guy did um, like how to, um, how to uh, where was it, how to like walk a dog. You know, like it was like very basic things, very basic things they would do. And the whole idea behind the topic was that you had to come up with all these details and all these adjectives to explain very mundane tasks. And you had to make a mundane task seem exciting. Like it wasn't you would just go up there and be like, step one do this. Like, you had to make it exciting. You had to make it engaging. And mine was very simple. I love, if you guys don't know this about me, um, I love to barbecue. I love to smoke meats. I love to, like, grill. I love just all things barbecue. Like, my, my Instagram page, like, when I scroll through, there's, like, all different types of pit masters that I'm following, all different types of, like, just type of grills and pellets, and, like, I'm, I'm meat church seasoning. If you guys know anything about meat church, like, top tier, but anyway, like, I I love that kind of stuff, and even back then, I enjoyed it, even though I was a broke college student, I would often go find, like, the cheap meat at, like, Walmart, and, like, bring it back to my apartment, and I would cook dinner for my roommates, and they would all chip in a couple bucks to, like, pay for the meat, you know, and so I loved to cook ribs, like, ribs are one of my favorite things, pork spare ribs on a grill, like, it's just, like, like, when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to greet me with a rack of ribs. I'm just convinced of it. He's going to say, Enjoy. All right. But, like, it's, I, I love to make ribs. And so I decided that I was going to give a presentation on preparing ribs and how to make ribs and how to grill them out. And how to, this was before I really got into smoking. So it was more the grilling process over a charcoal grill. So, like, I went into detail 15 to 20 minutes of how to light your charcoal, how to place your charcoal properly in the grill, how to prep the meat, how to season the meat, how, where to place the meat in relationship to the heat in the grill. I went on this tirade about meat, and like, I, I would, at the end of it, I was hungry, And, like, I I took it next level. I was that kid in the project. Like, I brought a rack of ribs in. It was a small class. There was only, like, eight of us in the class. And, like, we had spare ribs as I was done presenting. Like, here's the finished product, guys. Like, and I I got an A because my teacher was a a meat fanatic, too. So it worked. Uh, But I remember, like, feeling at the end of that message, like, at the end of that talk, at the end of that presentation, I presented a ton of information to the people in in the class. Right? 15 to 20 minutes of just exhaustive detail about how to cook ribs. But in reality, the people sitting in that classroom, even though they had all the information and all the details and all the things that they they know they should do, they were probably overwhelmed with the details and did nothing with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they they were probably just so overwhelmed with all the, 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 the specifics that I threw at them that they really didn't catch anything that I said at all. James, the book of James, is just the opposite of that. As I read through the book of James, it, it's not the, the, the details of every little thing in your life and every little thing that you need to do for God. It's not the details of the specifics of do this, not this, and this, and then not this, and this, and this. No, it's just, hey, listen, as Christians, here's some things we need to do. Here's some things we need to be known for. Here's some things that we need to process in our lives. Here's some things that we need to go through and some things that we should be known by, some things that we should be represented by in our lives, He gives the IKEA version of directions, the basics, the what you need to know, what you need to make happen so that your faith in your life can be put to work. And chapter five, as we wrap up this series, is no different. As I was reading chapter five, I was struggling with, like, Where I go with it, and like, how do I land the plane of this? And I really, I feel like we just need to continue to beat the drum of this entire series of, listen, it's just about surrender to Christ. It's about living your life out day in and day out, and what does that look like? Over the last two months, we've talked about obedience and our faith at work. And I really feel like they go hand in hand. They they tie together, they work together so well. And my hope is at the end of this message tonight is that you'll have a clearer understanding of what it looks like to truly live a life of faith, and faith that is at work. Because as we talked about two weeks ago, faith without works is what? It's dead. It's got nothing. There's nothing to it. Faith should compel you to do work. Faith, or faith should, should be a cause of Work. We should be doing things in our lives because of our faith, not have faith because of what we're doing in our lives. So as you guys turn your Bible, open up to James chapter 5, it's real easy to miss. So get there, with we're going to be the entire, the entire message. I'll also have them on the screen for you here in a second. But I just want you to know that, that James here, as he's wrapping up this letter, as he's wrapping up the, this, this address to the church, he's really just given us some things to do with our faith. He's, the, he's giving us some things to help us put our faith into action, to put our faith at work in our lives. I'm not going to spend too much time on the first six verses. I'm actually not even going like, to get into it, but you can read it on your own because it's a very specific audience that he's writing to. And honestly, not a single one of us in this room probably fall into this category. Uh, but he's giving like warnings to the rich, like, hey, don't boast about your money and, and like make sure you're treating people right. All right, I feel like we, can, we don't have to spend too much time digging into that. Like, treat people like decent human beings and don't be boastful and prideful about the amount of money you have. All right? I gave you that Reader's Digest version of those first six verses. So we're going to pick up in verse number 7. Verse number 7 is where we're going to start to unpack these ideas um, and, and talk about it. And the first thing is this. And From verse 7 to verse 11, he makes a statement here multiple times, and I hope that you'll be able to grab a hold of it. All right, here we go. Let's read together. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In these first couple of verses here, James is making a very simple command to us, and he's a reminder to us. It's something that we need as, as Christians to remember. And it's this be patient. Be patient. But be patient at what? Like, what? It's really easy to say be patient. Like, I, I don't know how many of you guys have ever had that like, from your parents. Your parents are like, hey, be patient, relax, it's coming. Like, anybody have to experience that? I, have to tell, I feel like I have to tell my kids that all the time. Like, hey, just be patient, relax. But here's the thing. James is being very specific here. He's saying, listen, be patient because the Lord is at hand. What he's saying there, we, we know the Lord is coming. We know that he's coming back. We know how this story ends. We know how it's gonna pan out, so just relax, be patient. Be patient and know and trust that God is who he says he is. Trust that he's going to do his thing in his timing. I love the illustration of the farmer here, right? The the, the patience of a farmer. He plants everything, and back then they didn't have crazy irrigation system. It wasn't like they were able to like tap into the well and turn on the sprinkler system, right? No, he had to wait for the rains. He had to be patient and wait for the rain to come. And and when the rain came in God's timing, what happened? The fruit of the land came up. the, the, The crops came forward. It's the same thing in our lives. We do the work and then we wait. We do what we're supposed to do and we wait. We be patient in that. We be patient in knowing that God is God and we are not and that he will take care of us. I love here in verse number eight where it says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That idea, that phrase of establishing your heart means to solidify. Solidify, like have a firm foundation in your heart on who God is. Trust that he is who he says he is. He's got us and trust that. Remain firm on the foundation of Christ in your life. Live in such a way that reflects that trust in him. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the busyness, to get caught up in the chaos. Like, it doesn't take long. Turn on the news, look out in your classrooms, look in the hallways, like, you know chaos is everywhere. You can't avoid it. It literally is consuming our world. But we need to reflect the trust that we have in Christ, the patience that we have in Christ because our hearts are established in the coming of the Lord. We know how this ends. We know how this pans out. We know that that God is victorious in the end and that if you're a believer in him, that you can trust that fact, you can trust that truth, that God is in control, that God will take care of you, that he'll he'll watch out for you and we need to live in that and establish your hearts on that. But then also in verse 11, it says this, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And then it goes on and reflects on the steadfastness of Job and this idea of of, of remaining steadfast. What does that mean? It means, like, stay on task. Remember who you are. Like, don't waver. If you guys are familiar with the story of Job, you know that, like, his world was flipped upside down. Like, if you ever feel like you're having a bad day, go back and read the book of Job. He loses his possessions, he loses his family, he loses his wife, like all these things start to go around and like, and like the world is just crumbling down him, but he never once turns his back on God. He remains steadfast. And what what's God do? He rewards that. Remember? He get he gets like, I forget how many fold things get restored to him. Like he, he has like everything come back and more. We are to remain steadfast. We're to remain uh, in, in, in the knowledge of Christ. We're to remain in the knowledge of his power and his mercy and his goodness and his compassion. We need to trust the fact and remain patient in all of these things. Be patient. Job didn't know the purpose of why God was allowing stuff to happen, but he trusted God enough and remained patient and steadfast in his love for him. What about you? Man, I know there's some of you guys in this room that are going through it. Like, I know, personally, like, I know there's some of you that, like, your world is flipped upside down right now. Trust God in it. I know it's easy to say. I know it's, like, a real easy thing to, like, to just echo and, like, it's very churchy to say that phrase. But, man, I'm telling you, like, there's no better place to be than being patient on a sovereign God who's in control and trusting that he's got it in the midst of the chaos. Number one, be patient. The second thing that that James here is saying in chapter five is this be trustworthy in speech. Be trustworthy in speech. In verse 12, it's very simple. He makes this statement. And honestly, like if you look at the whole chapter, this verse kind of seems like it was just kind of plucked in there. Like it doesn't really like fit with the rest of them. But man, like when you look at the big picture of living a life of faith and being a life, having a life that's reflecting Christ in everything that you do, it really does make sense. It says this in verse number 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let me say this real quick your reputation and your integrity are a direct reflection of your relationship with Christ. Your reputation, your integrity, what you're known for, your trustworthiness is a direct reflection on Christ if you claim to be a Christian. Be trustworthy. I love how James says it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Like people should be able to trust the words that come out of your mouth. People shouldn't have to look at you and go, "Eh, I don't know if they're lying today or not. You should be known as someone who reflects Christ, who reflects integrity, who reflects honesty and trustworthiness in your speech. He says, there should be no need for you to swear by God or swear on, on the Bible or swear on any other earthly being because your integrity is that strong. Because your reputation is that strong. Your reflection of Christ is that consistent that people automatically trust you. Are you trustworthy? (coughs) Do people trust the words that come out of your mouth? Or are you somebody who, they hear the words, and they're like, well, maybe. Or maybe they're, they, they hear what you're saying and they, they run it through the filter because you've lied to them before. They're unable to trust you. Are you a person who's trustworthy in speech? You guys all know the story of Chicken Little, right? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. One of the most underrated animated movies of the last like 20, 25 years, by the way. All right, this idea of the sky is falling, right? The, the chicken is claiming that the, the, the sky is falling and people are like, yeah, whatever. And then the sky actually is falling. Remember, like, and the aliens are coming and all this kind of stuff, and like nobody believes him because he's not trustworthy in speech. What about you? When you talk to people, do they believe you? Or do you have to work overtime to convince them to believe you? Be trustworthy in speech. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be known as somebody full of integrity. Be known as somebody who who does what they say they're going to do. One of the worst reflections you can have of Christ in your life is to promise somebody you're going to do something and never do it. Are you trustworthy in speech? Be trustworthy in speech. Be patient. Number three, be faithful in prayer. I know what you're thinking, like, all right, I'm in church. I know I'm supposed to pray. But let me ask you this, like, very basic question. If you were to eliminate meals... In bedtime, how much are you praying? How much are you going before God? How much are you communicating with the God of this universe? That we have his ear, by the way, guys. Like, he's big enough to hear every thought that we think, every cry of our heart. He is able and capable to comprehend and to respond to everyone. Are you being faithful in prayer? It says here in verse number 13, it says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Prayer is a powerful part of the Christian walk. I wish I could stand up here and be like, hey guys, I'm like the best prayer in the room. Like, I pray all the time. Like, me and God are real chummy chummy. No, like, honestly, I'm probably one of the worst. I need to pray more. I have a sign that I, I printed off and put it up above my desk in my office so I see it every day when I come in. It says, nothing significant for the kingdom happens apart from prayer. More or less. I forget the exact wording. But every movement of God in our history has been bathed in prayer. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you joyful? Pray. Are you sick? Are you hurting? Are are you struggling? Pray. In all things, communicate with the God of the universe who loves you enough to listen to you, and loves you enough to help you, and to care about your cares, to care about your needs. And he wants to help you inside of his will. He wants to answer those prayers and guide you along that path. We need to be praying to God there's power in the prayer of a righteous man. It talks about that in verse 16, right? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now listen very carefully. It is not because of the righteous man that there is power in that prayer. It is because of the one that the righteous man is praying to that there is power in that prayer. We have no ability in and of ourselves There is no special power of me because I'm an ordained minister, and there's no special power to a 16-year-old guy or girl that prays. No, but the God of the universe can do anything inside of his will for you to help you and to answer your prayers. Yet we try to do it ourselves. You want to put your faith in action? Start praying about it. Here's the thing. I truly believe God wants to answer our prayers. I I, I feel like God is a God who wants us to to be fulfilled. He wants us to to be living a life that, that is honoring him. But the problem is sometimes our prayers don't align with his will. If you want your prayers answered, it's not about changing God and changing his mind, it's about changing the desires of your heart. Because here's my promise to you. If your heart is aligned with the will of God and the desire of God in your life, and the desire of God for your life, he, is, he will answer those prayers. He will move in a mighty way you just align with him align with his will align with him his thing I, I love uh, Jesus as he was teaching his followers to pray you guys remember like what what that prayer's called anybody the Lord's prayer right I mean, this is Jesus like was teaching his followers very simply how to pray and one of the phrases in there is thy will be done what Jesus was saying is listen when you pray pray this way God let your will be done If that's the cry of your heart, God will answer that prayer every time. His will will win out as we cry out to him for his will to be done. We might not know what that looks like. We might not know the details of how that plays out. But we know that his will will be done. And when our hearts align with that, when our hearts align in prayer with the will of God, your life will be radically changed. Suddenly, your prayers are different. It's not, God, I need this. Your prayers are no longer like a wish list of things that you want him to accomplish for you, but it's gonna be a wish list of things you want him to accomplish through you. And the people that you can impact, the people that you can be a reflection of Christ to, and the lives that you can change, the lives that you can point towards Jesus, in the way that you live your life. Be faithful in prayer. Be trustworthy in speech. And be patient. And then the final verses here in James 5 give us this very simple challenge. And this is where I really want you guys to lock in. I really hope that this is the the message that you hear from me and you take to heart, is this. Keep each other accountable to the faith. Keep each other accountable to the faith. In verse number 19, it says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Every single one of us knows someone who's strayed away. So many of us in this room have been raised in church. Like, you were here before you remembered being here. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've been in church your entire life, and some of you guys are new to the faith. And man, welcome aboard. Like, we're glad you're here. But every single one of us knows somebody who used to be in this room or used to be in the church and is no longer here because they're walking away from God. They're living a life that no longer reflects Jesus. As Christians, we have a responsibility to go after them. Call them back. Call them back to repentance. Call them back to a right living. That's what accountability really looks like. That's what true accountability among friends and believers looks like. Is, is you go after the one and you say, hey, man, come on back. Like you're, you're, you're straying away from what God wants for you. Come on back this way. Let's talk about this. We have a responsibility, and when you do that, guys, listen, you need to understand that you will see fruit. You will see people's lives changed. You will see people drawn back, and then that person will then, because they're walking back with the Lord, they'll be able to impact more people, and because you went after the one who was straying, the one who was walking away and got him back and got him solidified, other people's lives can be radically changed by the good news of the gospel through that person because you cared enough to go after him. Be accountable to each other in the faith. If you don't have someone in your life that can call you on your crap, get someone. And I mean that in like the most spiritual way possible. (laughs) If you don't have somebody that can help you in your growth, someone that you can go to with your struggles, someone that feels comfortable enough to say, hey, you're screwing up, let's get this thing back on track. You need to find that person. Maybe that person's sitting in this room right now with you. Maybe that person's a a, a brother, a sister, a family member, a pastor, a small group leader, whatever. Get that person in your life that can help you, that can help you grow, that that you can help grow. Because guys, listen, the Christian walk is hard. There's going to be hard times, there's going to be struggles, There're going to be things that come up that beat you up and that that beat you down, and and you're going to need people to come alongside you to keep you accountable that you'll continue to walk in the faith. Because listen, when you remain accountable and when your life is focused on, on, on pursuing Jesus, guys, listen, people are going to notice. People are going to be like, wow, this guy, there's something special about them, I want to know about it. And guess what, you have an opportunity to share Jesus with them at that point. So this whole series has been about this idea of putting our faith to work. And I hope that if you've been here for the last four weeks, And and you've been here, and you've been hearing it, and you've been listening. Or maybe you need to go back and listen again on our podcast or on YouTube, whatever. Like, you can go back and check out those other messages and, and hear about it and be challenged on it. Like, maybe you just need to go back and read the book of James yourself. But I need you to understand that we are challenged in our lives, all right? Let's stop claiming Christ and doing nothing about it. Let me say that again. Stop claiming Christ in your life and doing nothing about it that reflects Jesus. Stop being one person here and singing and and praising and raising your hands during worship and then going to school and living a life that is in complete rejection of Christ. It happens. I know it happens. And I know there's some of you in here that live that way. Because I see it. Let's stop claiming Christ and living as if we don't claim him when we're not around our church friends. Let's put our faith to action. We're called to minister to those around us. We're called to live differently. We're called to reflect Christ, not just in word, but in deed. Are you reflecting Christ? Are people seeing Jesus in you in every day of your life? If I were to walk down the hallway of your school, incognito, nobody knew who I was, and I go up to someone that sits by you in math class, and I'm like, hey, what can you tell me about so-and-so? Are they even going to mention the fact that you're a Christian? that you reflect Jesus in your life? Or are they gonna be like, oh, that person? We're called to reflect, we're called to minister, we're called to live out our life in word and in deed. It's time for us to get to work. School's finishing up, we're at the end of the school year, we're getting ready to go into summer. Let me ask you this question. Over the next two months or so, while you're out of school, are your actions going to reflect more of Jesus or less of Jesus? Are you going to pursue Jesus in your life? Are you going to pursue him? Are you going to get to work? Are you going to put into practice the things that we've studied from James chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5? Like, Are you, are you going to reflect him in word and deed? Are you going to um, be doers of the word, not just hearers? Are you not going to show partiality? Are you not going to uh, be, be someone who claims faith but does nothing about it? Are you, are you, is your faith going to be dead because there's no works to accompany it? Or are you going to be someone who says, you know what? I'm done playing games. I'm done faking it. I'm going to strap up. I'm going to put on my work boots. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to start reflecting Jesus. Day in, day out. No matter my circumstances, no matter my surroundings, no matter where I am, no matter who I'm with, Jesus becomes number one. Because that's what it means to live a life of faith. That's what it means to have faith in your life, is that God, no matter what, is on the throne. He's at number one. He's at the top priority of your list. So that's my challenge. That we get to work. That we change the way that we live. That our faith Will be reflected not just on Sundays, but every day, every moment. That Christ is the top. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father, God, it's my prayer that every single one of us in this room. In this moment, would be drawn to you. God, that those that are under the sound of my voice right now, Lord, that they would see the desire, see the need that they have in their lives to reflect you to reflect their faith in you, Lord, that their faith would be genuine, that it would not be dead, Lord, but it would be a faith that produces fruit. Lord, that it be a faith that reflects you in all things, Lord, that points people towards you, that draws people towards you. Lord, I pray that every single one of us would purpose in our hearts to pursue you. God, that our faith would, would point people towards you, Lord, that our faith would, would be a direct reflection of you. Lord, I pray that our yeses would be yeses and our noes would be noes. Lord, I pray that our, our, our speech would be honoring to you. God, I pray that we'd be faithful in prayer. God, that we'd be in constant communication with you, trying to align our will to your will so that you can act in our lives through us to reach people with the good news of the gospel. God, send us out of here equipped and ready to go. God, I pray that if there's one in here tonight that's in need of you, Lord, they've been sitting here all night and they're like, what does it mean to have faith in you, God? I pray that you give them the courage to cry out to you. Say, God, I need you in my life. To ask questions, to, to come alongside and, and ask whoever they're with or, or, or one of the leaders in the room, Lord, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? God, I pray right now specifically for the believers in the room, Lord, that as we leave this place tonight, God, we would be ready to get to work, Lord, that our faith would no longer be dead, our faith would no longer be idle, but we'd be working because of our faith. Lord, that we would try to reach as many people as we could with the good news of your son Jesus coming and dying for our sins so that we may live forever in heaven with you. God, help us in that. Guide us and direct us, lead us in all things. God, we give the rest of this night to you. Lord, as we sing, as we respond and worship now, I pray that if there's work that needs to be done at the altar, Lord, if there's forgiveness of sin that needs to be asked for, Lord, I pray that the altar would be open, that students would come and kneel and pray and ask for your forgiveness, Lord, and, and realign. Lord, I pray if there's conversations of accountability that need to take place, Lord, that it would happen right now in this moment, that there'd be freedom in this place, Lord, to, to have those conversations among friends and among brothers and sisters in Christ. God, bind the devil right now in this place. God, don't allow him to have a stronghold in any of our lives. God, move in a mighty way right here in this moment. God, if there's one that needs healing, if there's one that needs Restoration. if there's one that needs forgiveness and redemption, Lord, I pray that they would find it right now in this moment as they talk to you, as they pray, as they're faithful in prayer right now. God, move. Move like only you can. Touch the lives of those that are in here. Align our hearts with your will. Allow us to pursue you in all things. God, we give it to you. It's in Jesus' most glorious and precious name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we worship, the altar's open. Guys, if you need prayer, grab a friend, come and kneel and pray. Let's sing together.